Garden Basics with Farmer Fred is brought to you by Smart Pots, the original lightweight, long-lasting fabric plant container. It's made in the USA. Visit smartpots.com/fred for more information and a special discount. That's smartpots.com/fred. Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. You've heard on this podcast many times about the benefits of using worm castings, and some gardeners consider that the best soil amendment ever. Just listen to episode 107 to find out more about that. But maybe you've seen the price of worm castings at the nursery and you're hesitant. How about growing your own worm castings? Today, we'll find out how to set up your own worm bin to harvest the freshest worm castings possible. Plus, we find out about five grape varieties, both table grapes and wine grapes, that you just might want to try growing yourself. It's all on episode 138 of the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast, brought to you today by Smart Pots. And we'll do it all in under 30 minutes. Let's go. We're here at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center talking worms, specifically how you can make some of the greatest fertilizer ever, worm castings, with the help of some worms. It's called vermicomposting, and we're talking to a, uh, I won't say a professional vermicomposter, but a very knowledgeable vermicomposter, Master Gardener Susan Mucky. And Susan, you've had this worm casting display here at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center now for a number of years. Exactly. Uh, it took a few years before we got worm composting up at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center, but now it's a very popular uh, section, a very popular project, and we always have a big crowd of people, especially children, because children like worms. Yeah, they're, they're cute. <laughs> yes. well, well, let's get people started on some worm composting basics, and you have the starter kit here, which I like. It's about a, I don't know, a 10 or 12 gallon Rubbermaid container. Yes, it, it's a 10 gallon container, and the first thing that you need need to know about containers is, and you can use any kind, it doesn't have to be Rubbermaid, but it just cannot be clear plastic. It has to be dark around the the sides and the top. Um, The worms do not like light. You also have to drill a whole bunch of holes in it along the side and along the bottom so that there's air circulation and also there can be proper drainage. And with the drainage, you want to be sure to set the bin up on top of something, either a some uh, two by fours or some bricks or whatever you have so that the 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 worm tea can kind of come out through the bottom that's a very important point we'll get to that let's talk about the holes because i imagine there are people saying well if you drill holes in the side and they look to be what quarter inch or half inch holes people might wonder well don't the worms escape The holes, the drill size is quarter inch, and if you create a heaven or a garden of Eden for your worms, they will not run. They will be happy. They do not need to go anywhere. And I always put in um, comics in my worm (laughs) composting bin so that they have something to read while they're being busy making vermicompost. 
And, of course, that would be uh, comic pages, I would think, from a soy-based uh, ink newspaper. Yes. So after you have your bin established, then you need to have some bedding. And uh, the Master Gardeners, my colleagues, they like either uh, the shavings that you get at a, um, a, f- a farm store. Uh, they're very inexpensive. You get a very big bale for maybe $8. And... Um, and it has to be either fir or pine. You don't want redwood or cedar. Those are not good for the worms. I prefer the Sacramento bee or any kind of <laughs> a plug for the bee <laughs> or, or any kind of newspaper that is soy based. And you don't want to put any, uh, sh- shiny things in there, like any of the commercials, uh, so any anything that's shiny because that the worms don't like that. And another interesting thing is when you go to the produce department and you get all those little stickers, sometimes I forget to take them off when I'm throwing food into the worm bin. And the worms, they never touch those. So I'm always picking them out later. All right. Some questions then. Now, we should uh, reinforce the fact there is a lid to this container that has the holes in it. I don't see any holes in the lid. And I would think, too, that uh, when you're putting this together, that uh, you have to put in a certain amount of, uh, of bedding for them. And I, I would think that the newspapers you're putting in, you're, you're shredding those newspapers first? Yeah. Yes, I shred them, and, and then I, I put them in there, and then you have to add a certain amount of water. So we fill the whole bin up with, with uh, uh, pine shavings, and then we... Uh, in our kit, we send that home with people. But when you're making your own bin, you're going to soak the the shavings or the, the shredded newspaper. And, and then you want to make sure that you don't have too much water. So that's why you need the holes at the bottom. Now, Fred noticed that we don't have any holes at the top. And we used to put holes at the top. We say, people, if you want to put holes in the top, you can. But we were afraid. And at the time, um, we were getting rain. And we didn't want too much rain rain getting into the bin. But um, it's it's up to you if you want to put the holes at the top or not. But since ours is out here at the Ferox Horticulture Center, and there might not be anybody here to to make sure the, the, the water is draining out, then that's why we did it like that. You mentioned that the, the leachate uh, from the worm castings goes to a lower level. So is there some sort of lower level in this bin, or is it just uh, going out the bottom? Well, you can have several types of worm bins. There's this this product called Can of Worms, which is several layers, and it probably has some kind of a catching tray at the very bottom. And technically, the worms are supposed to go up as they get done with one layer. They're supposed to go up and, and keep going up. So when you take the bottom layer, it's supposed to be just full of uh, worm castings. However, I found that my worms did not get the memo, and they do not go up. They like it down in the bottom, and I think they like it with their friends and the kind of gooey, gushy feeling of their poop. <laughs> yeah, in that can of worm system, it is a, a, a series of, of four round trays, all with holes in the bottom, and the, the worm castings, the, the stuff you want for your garden, goes all the way to the bottom. And in time, it takes a while, too. But let's go back a few steps. How many worms do you put in there to start if you have a 10-gallon container like this? Well, we we figure uh, 24 worms. I'm not sure where that came that number came from. Uh, if you put in, the more you put in, the faster your bin is going to become um, more vermicom, full of vermicompost. But 
I don't know, we just came on that number. I guess if you buy worms, you get 24. Some nurseries do sell usually little packages of worms. They're usually in, in Chinese takeout containers. And um, when you open it up, it, they may be hard to see, but there's usually a few in there and they're, and they're still alive. They, you do have to be careful which kind of worms you put in there. You want composting worms. Yes, we want. They're called red wigglers and the kind that um, they're actually also called manure worms. And so you don't want uh, earthworms. Earthworms live in the soil, in the dirt. And these kinds of worms are really garbage worms. They live on the top of the, so the leaf litter, and, and so you don't want to mix up the two. If you put earthworms in your worm bin, they will revolt, and they will try to get out of there as fast as they can. I'll have links in today's show notes about commercial sources for buying uh, the, the red wiggler worms that are perfect for a composting bin. Another type of worm you don't want in there, and this is a problem in several states now. It's called the crazy worm or the jumping worm. And it's uh, I know it's up in Oregon, and uh, some bait stores sell that. And you can tell the jumping worm or crazy worm is because... They jump. They're, 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 they're way too active, much more so than a normal worm, and they, will, they also are not very good composters. Yeah. Um, we need to mention, too, what you feed your worms. Yeah, you do. Talk, yes. Talk about yeah. that. What do you feed the worms? I mean, you've got this nice bed of newspaper or, or pine shavings that uh, they will munch on, but uh, they like a varied diet, and I would think anything that you think you're going to put down the garbage disposal would be fine for the worms. Actually, worms are like children. They like cantaloupe. They like watermelon. They don't particularly care for broccoli or cauliflower or kale, the things that are really good for you. However, if there's nothing else, they will munch on that. There's things that you don't want to put in there. You don't want to put in pineapple. It's too acetic. You don't want to put in onions or garlic. They're too pungent. And you don't want to put in citrus. And the problem with citrus is the oil in the zest is harmful to the worm's body. And so you want to keep that out of there. Put that all those things in your regular compost pile. But they like everything else. They like apples. They like um, all sorts of fruits and vegetables, um, the ends of your cucumbers, just anything. Uh, well, how, it's not anything. I mean, well, you wouldn't put meat in there, would you? You don't put meat in there, and you don't put anything with oil, which brings up another subject is, say you have, you're having a, a salad, okay? Okay. And you think, oh, good, it's all organic, whatnot, but you put salad dressing on it. So you don't want the salad dressing in your worm bin. And so that salad, ha you're either going to have to wash it off, which is labor intensive, and, and or throw it out or put it down your garbage disposal. And I, you could probably put it in your regular compost, but not recommended. We're talking to a lot of gardeners now, and I would think that out in the yard, all those uh, portions of crops that you're uh, tearing out or, or planting or trimming uh, would be good food, too. Actually, I only put those kinds of things in my regular compost, kind of big. So well, You could cut it up. You could cut it up. Yes. It depends on how much time you have. Right. Um, so I, I, I usually just put that in my compost. But yes, you could. And, and if you have a very large worm bin, 
in, then you could probably do things like that. But I wouldn't put like large twigs or logs in my little tiny 10-gallon bin. What about eggshells? Eggshells are great. Um, one of my friends, she uses a specific to the worms, the, her own coffee, their own coffee grinder. And, and so that really grinds the, the, um, the eggshells up. And it also is good for the worms because when they ingest it, it helps them break down the food. Um, they have a craw. And so it's kind of like birds and it helps to break down the food that they're, that they're eating. And also worms don't have teeth in case you wondered. Oh yeah, I was, I, I was awake last night. I couldn't figure out what the problem was. Yeah. No, they do not have teeth. And so they kind of suck all the, the, as your food decomposes, it, the worms kind of suck it in like a straw. And so the gooey, slimy stuff that's in the back of your refrigerator that you forgot about is the most perfect worm food. They say, oh, thank you. Thank you. Oh, that sounds good. Yes. Now, where do you put the worm bin? We like to put it in the shade under a tree. Um, I have mine in my barn. Uh, a lot of the state offices, when people were actually working at work, have them underneath their desks. And I mean, if you have good sanitation practices, then you can have one in, in, a, um, in a building under your desk. You just want to make sure that you cover everything and don't put too much in because you might get um, fruit flies. Ah. Well, speaking of that, for people who are back in offices, they may think, well, gee, I'll put the, uh, that worm bin in the uh, office kitchen and people can uh, put stuff in there as they eat. But what about coffee grounds? Coffee grounds are great. Worms love coffee grounds. Um, and also tea bags, tea leaves, tea bags. And what we do with the tea bags is we take the staple off and the tag off because when you're, you don't want those things to, to hurt you or the worms later on if after it all decomposes. Now they have these new kind of tea bags. They're kind of fancy. I don't use them, but um, they're kind of fancy. And I think they're made out of some kind of mesh. I would take that apart if you were going to put that in your compost pile, in your worm compost pile, because I don't think it will decompose. What is the easiest way to harvest the worm castings from that uh, 10-gallon bin? There's a couple things you can do. You can push the old, the stuff that looks really, really brown, because it'll eventually, in about six months, it'll get very, very brown. You can push it over to one side and then fill up the new side with bedding. And eventually the idea is, and you only feed the side where the new bedding is, eventually the idea is the worms will mosey on over to the side that has the food. Very slow process. For myself, I like to pull out a a hunk of worm compost and usually because I have the the multi-tray system and there's not a whole lot of worms down at the bottom I just pick out the worms and put them back in to the new section that's what I find works the best that is the benefit of having a uh, commercial worm bin is usually that bottom bin is removable and you can open it up and uh, put the worms any worms you might find in there back in the upper bins and then take that lower bin full of that uh, wet worm castings and uh, incorporate that into your garden. Exactly. And when you do have the stacking system, you only feed the top tray. You do not feed the other ones. I did not know that. 
Yes, Fred just gave me a look of awe here. Because <laughs> I don't see any worms in my top bin. They're all in the lower bins. Yes, I told you. They like they like being down there in the bottom with their friends and the, the nice gooey stuff. <laughs> oh, well, <clears throat> I have to rethink then. Yes, yes. The, the only thing about the can of worms is that if you uh, have a lot of produce they're kind of small do you have do you have a the can of yes you do kind of small and 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 so you would probably not um use up all your your produce in those tiny bins because like i said they're kind of small now what i used to do is before i had some bigger worm bins is i used to bag up my produce and and then but you have to be sure to label it because one time i took it out because i thought it was going to be dinner and it wasn't. Yes, it was my scraps. <laughs> well, <laughs> so do label it. Okay, that, that's a good <laughs> it's idea. A good idea. Also, another reason to put it in the the freezer too is if there's any bugs or something, it, they might freeze, and then you wouldn't have them in your worm bin. One tip you you gave, and I think we should reinforce it, is it should be raised off the ground for a number of reasons, no matter what system you have. Now, I noticed with the can of worms, when I had it in uh, the backyard underneath a tree, all of a sudden, these ants started climbing up the legs and getting into the bin. And I figured, okay, now how do I keep those ants out? And I got, there were four legs, I got four large coffee cans and put the legs in those and then filled those coffee cans with a combination of water and a surfactant like soap or oil. So they they can't swim very well. No. So it did deter them from getting into the worm bin. Yeah. One thing, if you have ants in your worm bin, you need to check is my worm bin moist enough? Because usually in, in like our regular compost classes, we say, if you've got ants in your compost pile, it's not wet enough. And I'm thinking that maybe, Fred, your worm bin wasn't wet enough. It's fine now. It's fine now. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because there should be, you should be able to squeeze the worm, the, the bedding without the worms in it and, and get maybe a drop or two of water that's going to come out. What is the temperature range for a worm bin, the ideals to uh, make them happiest? They are happiest, like us, between 40 and 80. They really don't like 110, 114, whatever. Um, my worm bin is in my barn, and so it, it never gets the real extreme. But don't ever put your worm bin out in the sun. It's best to have it in a shady area and um, just kind of monitor it. One of our colleagues also, when it gets really, really cold, she takes her worm bins inside. I I can see that. Now, one of the problems with the can of worms is there's a faucet on there that allows the leachate to drain out. So if you're going to bring that in the house, I would put like a big cat box under it or something to catch the liquid. Right, right, right. And then doesn't yours have like a spigot so you could keep it turned off? Yeah, you could, but I want it to drain. Yeah. (laughs) Now, as far as the leachate, Leachy goes. Um, it's supposed to be really good, but as you see, Master Gardeners, uh, we can't recommend using it on, say, your vegetables that you're going to eat uh, because it hasn't been properly tested uh, by the UC uh, University. And so uh, we can't really recommend that, but um, you probably could just put it around your landscaping plants. 
All right. A lot of basic worm composting tips there. We'll have more links in today's show notes where you can learn a lot more. And if you are in the Sacramento area, come out to the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center sometime when they're having open garden days or workshops and and take a look at all the worm bins that they have here. Master Gardener Susan Mucky, uh, thanks for uh, telling us about worms. You're welcome. You've heard me talk about Smart Pots, the award-winning fabric planter here on the Garden Basics podcast. They're durable and reusable. I've been using mine for five years now, and once again, they're being pressed into service in my yard. I have this problem. I, I grow too many tomatoes for the amount of allotted sunny space I have for them. So those extra tomato plants go into the Smart Pots. I place them in scattered areas around the yard where I know they'll get enough sun, which is a premium in my yard. And even five years later, I can pick up those smart pots, plant and all, and move them around without fear of the smart pot tearing or ripping. Smart Pot's breathable fabric creates a healthy root structure for plants. And smart pots come in a wide variety of sizes and colors. Visit smartpots.com slash Fred for more information about the complete line of SmartPots lightweight fabric containers. And don't forget that slash Fred part, because on that page are details of discounts where you can buy SmartPots at Amazon. Okay, now I understand maybe you want to see the SmartPots before you buy them. That's not a problem. SmartPots are available at independent garden centers and select Ace and True Value stores nationwide. To find a store near you, visit SmartPots.com slash Fred. We're at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. It's a work day. And if you've never been to the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center uh, in Sacramento County and you like grapes, you should come by here because one of the features here at the Hort Center is the vineyard. And they have table grapes. They have wine grapes, many of which are adaptable throughout the country that you may have heard of. And they have some very interesting trellising techniques here, pruning techniques, care techniques. I'll have a link on today's show notes about the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center and everything that's out here. We're talking with Catherine Barquette, Sacramento County Master Gardener. And we are here in the vineyard, and the vineyard is always changing. You're like a gardener because you want to try new stuff. So you've brought in some grape varieties that uh, I see are pretty popular throughout much of the rest of the country. So what are you going to be trying that's new? Hi, Fred. Good to talk to you. Well, we have a new focus uh, in the Hort Center Vineyard on sustainable farming, and uh, we have put in some brand new cultivars, new for us. One is actually over 100 years old, so it's not a new cultivar, but for us, they're new, and we have really focused on disease-resistant varieties. That's very important, and uh, being California, I would think uh, drought-tolerant, but that's drought-tolerance and grapes is kind of an interesting subject when you consider all the uh, dry-farming wine grape acreage there is now in California. You can do dry farming, and particularly for uh, wine grapes. But table grapes grapes typically need quite a bit of water. And so you you can reduce watering down to about 80% of optimal and get away with it. Um, but you still you still need water uh, and 
you still need to watch out for um, pests. But the average homeowner, of course, does not want to be out there spraying all the time. And they're always looking for fruit varieties that um, are resistant. And wine grape growers throughout the country, be it table grapes or wine grapes, are always curious what other people are growing. So uh, what are these varieties that you're going to be trying now? Well, we have several of them. We have one called Mars. Uh, and actually, it's one of uh, four that are from the University of Arkansas breeding program. Um, it's a reddish-blue seedless grape with what they call a foxy flavor. Yeah, what, what does that mean? Well, I don't know why they call it a foxy flavor, but it, it's the flavor you get when you eat a conquered grape. It's that kind of really rich, kind of almost musky. Um, but in this case, without the seed. Without the seeds. The berries are medium-sized on that one, and uh, you hardly ever get fruit cracking, which was is nice. And it's very vigorous. And it's the most disease-resistant cultivar from the University of Arkansas. Um, then we have Reliance, which is a red seedless cultivar. It's cold-hardy. So if you're up a little farther into the foothills and you have to worry about a little frost, this would be a good one. Um, the berries have a thin skin, and they're medium in size with large, uh, medium to large clusters. Um, and it's moderate in terms of growth and productivity. I would think with the thin skin, then, uh, as they build up water and sugar, there might be some cracking. Yes, that it's more susceptible to cracking than, say, the Mars is. But again, that's the reliance. Uh, right, the reliance. Um, and then hope. Hope is a white or green, green, light green seedless grape with a fruity flavor and it has very high yields. It has a thick skin, so there again you're going to get less cracking. Medium-sized berries that are sweet and soft. Some people like a crunchy grape, some people like a soft grape. This is a softer one. C clusters can be a little tight, so you have to watch for that. Sometimes do a little thinning on those clusters. And by tight, you mean that the bunch itself is crammed with grapes or the bunches are too close together? The bunch itself is crammed with grapes, yeah. So one strategy on that early in the season is... Uh take the tail off the bunch. Is that still applicable? Uh, not for a cluster with a really tight bunch, because actually it gets even tighter. Oh. So so you'd want to do the opposite, not take the tail off. And when it's small, but the fruit has set, you can take, take your little clippers, snippers, and clip some of those berries off if you want. Uh, then we have Mission. Mission is the earliest vinifera variety to be cultivated in the Americas. Who knew that? Yeah. Yes. And its DNA goes back to central Spain. It was actually used by the Catholic Church for sa as a sacramental wine. Um, and uh, people make fortified wines from this grape, as well as it's a good eating grape. The mission. Yeah, I'm not surprised uh, with a name like that. I bet uh, Father Sarah was probably uh, distributing those up and down the California coast. I bet he was. Um, and finally, our other new one is Crystal, uh, which may also be uh, Niagara, uh, which is, and Niagara is a very old cultivar. It's said to be over 100 years old, and it started out in Newcastle down at the Fowler Nursery, if you're familiar with that. And that started in 1912, and they had grapes then. So that is a an excellent-tasting, medium-sized green grape with seeds. And this is a table grape? Table grape with seeds. Right? Are these all table grapes? Well, these are pretty much table grapes, except the Mission, which, of course, was, was used... Um, 
for Sacramento wines. And we do have up here uh, Cabernet Sauvignon and um, Merlot, which are um, wine grapes. And we also have a lot of table grapes that are used in wine, like the Thompson Seedless. It's a very common filler. All right. So new grape varieties here at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. You might want to look around for it. You're going to be doing some uh, planting no matter where you live. These varieties might be adaptable to wherever you are. The Mars, the Reliance, the Hope, the Mission, and the Crystal. We're talking with Catherine Barquette, Sacramento County Master Gardener. Thanks for the great grape information. (laughs) Thanks, Fred. Good to talk to you. Because there are so many demands on your time these days, well, I like to keep the Garden Basics podcast to under 30 minutes. But still, there's a lot more to tackle on all the garden subjects we bring up on the podcast. So for that and a lot more, we're starting up the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred newsletter. It'll be on Substack. It'll go into more details about what you just heard on the latest podcast, So, yes, it will be a good supplement for the Garden Basics podcast, but there will be a lot more garden-related material and, uh, you know, probably pictures of my dogs and cats as well. It's the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred newsletter. It's on Substack. And best of all, it's free. There's a link in today's show notes. Or just go to Substack.com and do a search for the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred. That's Substack.com. The Garden Basics with Farmer Fred Newsletter. Did I tell you it's free? It's free. Garden Basics comes out every Tuesday and Friday. It's brought to you by Smart Pots. Garden Basics is available wherever podcasts are handed out, and that includes Apple, iHeart, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, Google, Podcast Addict, CastBox, and Pocket Casts. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and leaving comments. We appreciate it.